Welcome everybody into Down the Line. I'm your host Carson Brever and we're still going to be doing some Australian Open talk today because yes there are some 250s going on right now in tennis and we will talk about those later but really it's a pretty slow week so I decided to bring on a guest today to get his thoughts on the Australian Open and we will get that conversation from earlier today rolling right now. All right so today we are bringing on Jim Landis a highly accomplished high school tennis coach and I'd like to Add that I contributed to some of that success, a former UCLA tennis player, really during the heyday of UCLA's powers, right after Connors. Uh, and Jim, is there anyone historically relevant that you haven't played with? It feels like you have a story about playing with just about everyone from that era. <laughs> I did play with a few people from that era. <laughs> um, uh, Venus, I grew up playing a little bit with Venus Cherylitis. That's a pretty big one. Uh, yeah. Uh, I played a little bit with McEnroe. Uh, he was four years younger than I was, mm-hmm. so not too much. Mm-hmm. Those were both at um, what's uh, the infamous Port Washington Tennis Academy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, back then most of the good players were from California or Florida because there wasn't that much indoor tennis yet. Right. So uh, we were just catching up back east. Yeah. And didn't you play, wasn't Brian Teacher on your team at UCLA? Brian was on my team and probably um, the most famous of uh, players that were on my team in that era. Mm. He won an Australian Open. Mm -hmm, Right. And um, uh, I played some doubles with him in the juniors. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I never beat him in singles. I've lost him at Kalamazoo. I think I lost him a couple of times. That would have been a good win on the resume. Yes, it would (laughs) have He was very tough to pass. Yeah, that's what that's what I've heard from from my dad and whatnot. So <laughs> I, I wasn't watching much Brian Teacher, but I've heard. So we're here today to talk about the Australian Open. Now that was last week, but still it's the most relevant. This is a pretty slow week in tennis. There's a few two fifties going on, but a lot of guys are sitting them out. So let's talk about the men's final first. Were you crazy like me? Did you watch it live or did you did you sit down and watch it after? Actually, I think I watched um, most of that match after. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I did watch some of the ones late at night. Yeah. Um, I think I saw the Nadal match late at night with um, with team. That was a good one. Um, but I, I saw most of Djokovic the next morning. Right. And um, it was a great match. Mm-hmm. Did you know what had happened when you were watching? I don't remember. I think I did. Uh-huh. I, I think I tuned in on the result first. Right. Um, and um, it was a real seesaw. Absolutely it was. So yeah. when you are when you were watching Djokovic in those second and third sets, for me it was like, well, first of all, he started the match playing as well as I can ever remember him playing. He was attacking and he wasn't missing and then had that total dip. Can you remember seeing Djokovic like that ever? Uh, yes. He, remember he had that bad period couple of years ago right. where um, he, his tennis fell way downhill. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, he lost to Dennis Isterman in one right. tournament. He was a good player, but, you know, um, not, a, not a joke of his level. Right. And, um, but it's, it's, it's been rare. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I, and, I, and I think sometimes the crowd gets to him 
mm-hmm. more than it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 uh, I think sometimes that's a little too important to him. And um, But he turns it around. No, he absolutely turned it around. And, I mean, that is one of the different things about Djokovic. I would be interested in seeing how Federer and Nadal would respond if crowds ever rooted against them. Because, you know, that's something Djokovic has had to deal with his entire career is crowds are always against him. And Federer and Nadal, they always, you know, keep it very composed out there. But they also never have to face that same level of opposition from the crowd. That's true. That's true. But on the other hand, you know, I think Djokovic brings it on himself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, of course, Federer and Nadal don't. And that's, you know, I think eventually Djokovic will get a lot more love. Do you as think so? As he gets older. I, I do. As he gets older, um, and he's not always uh, the favorite, mm-hmm. uh, I think the crowd's going to get strongly behind him. I think you're probably, I think when he gets, I mean, if he's still playing at, you know, 38 like Fed is, I think he'll, I think he'll probably get to start, start to get some more fan support, but he's been around for, you know, 14 years now and people still don't take to him for, for whatever reason. So as far as this win for Djokovic, he's catching up in the slam count now. He's at 17. Nadal is at 19 and he's looking to make that 20 pretty soon with the French and Fed is at 20. If you had to take your pick of the three to end up with the most. Do you think Djokovic is the favorite for that now, or would you still take one of the other two? Wow. Um, that's a tough question. Yeah. Um, I don't think Fed is going to win anymore. I hate to say it. I think that's true. But um, um, And I'm not really um, sure that Nadal is going to win the French again. Yeah. I think Djokovic has a good chance to beat him. I think team has a good chance to I beat agree. him. I agree. Um, there are even some other guys, um, you know, some of these, you know, we keep talking about how, um, the top, the big three are, uh, in total dominance, but it's getting tighter. This Australian mm-hmm. showed Zverev played better than he ever has in a slam. Absolutely. Team played better than he ever has. Uh, Pass was a little bit of a disappointment, but he's going to come back. He's right up there. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, um, uh, the Russian Medvedev is up there. So yeah. there's at least four guys that can, I think any of those four guys can beat any of those top three on a given day. I, right now. I agree. And in fact, a couple of my predictions from before this season were that Medvedev would crack the top two in the world at some point this year because he was, there was a stretch after Wimbledon through the U.S. Open last year where he went like 29-2 and two and he was almost unbeatable. And I also predicted before the season that someone other than Rafa would win the French. And the two people you look at there are Team and Djokovic, who of course just played in the final of the Australian for Team, who had been along with Zverev and you know this entire younger generation, pretty much a perennial disappointment at slams outside of the French, makes just his second slam quarterfinal uh, at, outside of the French and makes it all the way to the final. So what do you think this meant for Team as far as getting his confidence turned around? And right now he is really on the verge of taking that number three spot in the world. He's like 85 points behind Fed. Do you think he can pass up Fed? Yes. I mean, he's a great player. He is. There's no question. Um, he, he's just getting better and better. You, you, you can see that he's not getting driven as far back as he used to. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's more effective at the net than he used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, his serve um, was not as uh, powerful yeah. as it was a few years ago. 
but I think that's intentional. I think he's trying to get a greater percentage of first serves in. I don't have the stats. Um, but against Nadal, his serve was very effective because yeah. he can pull him so wide on the deuce side and, right. and still keep him honest with, with a, you know, some big serves up the tee. And he's got that kick out wide in the end court that's fabulous. So mm-hmm. he, he's, he's just going to be, I think, a contender. Uh, yeah, and this is how to give him confidence. Um, so, um, uh, you know, it's hard. I don't know where Fed is at, you know, yeah. physically. Physically, he obviously had a, a few problems in this tournament. Yeah. Um, but he he was really tested. I mean, he had to go those two long five setters. And yeah. So that's gotta that's gotta hurt. Well, in it's pretty pretty amazing that he still you know still was playing pretty well against Djokovic. Absolutely, because you know just to put it in historical context, and I'll I'll add some more about team after this, but Federer is six months younger right now than Connors was in the '91 U.S. Open run. So. You know, that's like one of the great miracles ever Connor's getting there. And Fed, every he's still a top three player in the world at that age. He's uh, I'll tell you the difference though. Yeah. The matches Fed 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 is more much more incredible in that sense because the matches are much more grueling now. Mm-hmm. You have matches now that are regularly four and five hours yeah. with, you know, twenty, thirty shot rallies. Connors was playing on fast grass at the right. US Open or something. You know, it was Listen, Jimmy Connors was a great player, and he played someone, and someone was on hard courts at Flushing Meadow too. Mm-hmm. But still, it wasn't as grueling. Um, uh, the tennis wasn't as grueling. No, and Federer is going deep in every single tournament that he plays in. Still, I yeah. think I think you made some good points about Team. To me, he looks. I think he's really completed his transformation from a guy that initially was really primarily a clay quarter, and his game is now totally suited to all surfaces. He can. Rip that forehand. His backhand is pretty flat, and it's a pretty aggressive shot. He he hits a nice slice too. And then I thought you made a great point about his serve because Team's not a huge guy, but he can get into the high one thirties on that serve, and he didn't. And I think part of it was I think he, I think he used to hit one forty. Yeah, maybe one forty, and on a regular on a regular basis, which is pretty incredible because you know he's yeah. not he's not round at just size, but you know I think he understands Djokovic is the best returner ever. He can handle that pace, and I think. Some of the times he was able to throw off Djokovic's rhythm with those kicks and stuff. So I thought that was no, that was pretty I, smart I, I by him. I completely agree. He varies his serve more now. Yeah. And um, and uh, you know it worked it worked very well, particularly against Nadal. Mm-hmm. So let's talk quickly about the other young guy. I always call Team a young guy. He's really not young. He's 26. But Zverev, who you mentioned earlier, has had a historically bad. Uh, run at Grand Slams before this Australian. Now he made the semis. Do you think this was the run he needed to sort of get over the hump and now we'll see him being more consistent at Slams going forward? Yeah, I do. I think, again, Zverev has made some improvements in his game. Mm-hmm. He His forehand uh, was subpar compared to the other um, guys in his generation, and I think that's changing. Yeah. You, know, you need a big forehand in this game. You need to be able to flatten it out. And 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 uh, push push your opponent around. Mm-hmm. He was too passive before with it. And the other thing I think he's, which really surprised me, was how much he came in yeah. and forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, his brother must be talking to him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very well might be. Yeah, I think and, you know he he could be he'll gradually get more effective up there. I think there mm-hmm. were some points where you know he should have angled the volleys off and. And instead, he gave his opponent another chance. Yeah. But um, it was great to see him come in. He's got such a big serve. Yeah. He's always had a great backhand. Yeah. You know, and um, 
so uh, I, I think, you know, I hope that this um, bodes well for him. I hope so, too, and he is only 22. It feels like he's been around forever because he broke through about four years ago. But Yeah, that's the other thing. So much was expected of him. Right, right. Some of that pressure, I think, got to him. And guys are just taking longer to break through now. You know, it's not like Jovic won a slam at 20, Rafa won a slam at 19 or 20. Guys just aren't doing that in this era. I also think with Zverev, you are seeing a bit of a transition because I think he's at his best when he plays attacking tennis and when he is coming forward because he does have big strokes, but his instinct is to stay back and to brush balls in. And I think especially against team, early on, he was just sort of getting killed that way because he can't grind up team. I mean, team is as good of a grinder as there is. He can hit heavy, deep balls from the baseline. He can all day and he can move better. And I think that we saw... In this tournament, it's not Zverev's natural instincts for him to come forward, and he has to sort of consciously say to himself, okay, this is an opportunity where I should come in, but I think seeing that from him is a good development, and it means going forward he can play better aggressive tennis. You're right, and um, I think, you know, um, sometimes the word uh, natural volley is used uh, mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, like anything else, if you practice it and, yeah. and use it, more and more, yeah. it becomes more instinctual. Yeah. And, um, so hopefully that's what we'll see with him. Yeah. I mean, even, not to put too much weight on one match, but, you know, even Djokovic was volleying pretty well in that final. And beyond just the drop volley, which seems to be the only volley he's had in his repertoire for his entire career. Let's talk about the women, in particular the young American women. So obviously Sophia Kennan, at 21 years old, won the Australian Open. This is an incredible achievement for her. She's the youngest American woman to be a first-time slam winner since Venus around 20 years ago. When you watch Kennan, do you think that she has number one talent? Do you think that this is the first of a few Grand Slams or that this is sort of a one-off thing? That's hard to say. You know, <laughs> I saw her play three years ago at mm-hmm. the Berkeley Tennis Club in a challenger, which she won. Yeah. Um, and right away, I, I saw, you know, that she had a lot of potential and, and a, you know, a beautiful great game. Mm-hmm. She's mostly a baseliner. Yeah. Um, and um, uh, I, I think I would compare her a little bit to like um, a Kim Kleister, a, a cross between Kim Kleister's and Simona Halep. Yeah. So she, she's, she's a little bit you know, loopier with the ball, like, mm-hmm. like, like Pleister's was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but, you know, she, she's a fierce competitor and runs a lot. Of, the thing about her is I'm not sure she has the speed mm-hmm. um, to stay on top. A lot of, um, like in the match when she played Barty, mm-hmm. um, uh, so many of Barty's serves went by her without even her being anywhere near them. Yeah. Um, in the beginning. And, yeah. and, um, uh, that that's going to have to change. Um, you know, she uh, um, she's got a pretty good serve herself, and 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 she's a strong ground stroker. Um, but I think she, that, that some things are going to have to change. Like she's going to have to be a little bit better, move, you know, coming in, mm-hmm. and she's going to have to she's going to have to get a little faster. Yeah, I mean, I thought she basically won this tournament on grit. She was just an absolute fighter out there and she gets a bunch of balls back and she basically just outlasted her opponents and was better on the that, big points. In, in that, that match in the, uh, against Barty in the mm-hmm. semis, um, 
reminded me a little bit of the Wimbledon final between Leighton Hewitt and Tommy Haas mm-hmm. years ago, where mm-hmm. I thought, well, Tom, Tom, or it might have been U.S. Open. I don't remember. It was a very windy day, just like this. Mm-hmm. And and um, Leighton Hewitt shows a tremendous grit yeah. and gets everything back. And Tommy Haas was completely thrown off by the wind and, yeah. and, and, the, and the pressure of the situation. Because yeah. he was playing great up until that point, he looked horrible in the final, yeah. and this is and that seemed to happen to Barty. The pressure of being in her own country mm-hmm. and the wind and and uh, and her opponent, all three of those combined to sink her. As you said in your previous uh, um, show, mm-hmm. uh, Muguruza is a wild card. No, she. I mean, she was as wild as ever this tournament within matches, but. I think it's good for her to be relevant again because she's so tremendously talented. And I think that she should be around the top 10 all the time, especially with, you know, the volatility in women's tennis right now. And like the number one ranking seems to be up for grabs. You have Osaka down at 10 in the world right now. So you don't really know who's good. That was another situation of of pressure. Yeah. You know, where I think she just completely fell apart against Goff. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, she didn't look like herself at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a complete reversal from that match at the U.S. Open. Right. Where, you know, and Goff is, to give, give Goff credit, she's, she's getting better and better. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it was, she got that much better. Yeah. I, I really think uh, Osaka uh, played a big part in that victory right there. I do think what, what Goff deserves credit for is the fact that she was able to stabilize and understand that Osaka would beat herself on that day because Goff has such tremendous weapons. When she flattens her strokes out, I mean, she serves 120. Her flat backhand is like the most powerful shot in tennis up there with Muguruza and Serena. But for her to be able to bring it back a level, going up against, you know, a top five player in the world and realize, I don't have to blow her off the court, I just have to win. I thought that was impressive to see from a 15-year-old. Yeah, I I agree. She's going to be great. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, I I feel like she has more potential than um, uh, Kennan. I agree. And, um, uh, but, it, you know, she's only 15. I think Chris Everett made a good point that she almost played too much in this tournament, you know, mm. with the doubles mm-hmm. and, and the tough singles matches. And, yeah. You know, I think I think I think she finally petered out. Yeah. My... Uh, what was it, six, six love in the third or something against uh Kennan? Yeah. It, it yeah. wasn't all that close, and I think that the doubles, that's a fun thing for her to do as a 15-year-old, but I don't think she's going to hold on to that for that long. Let me ask you this before we wrap things up here. There have been some great women's tennis players really young. You know, I think back to Capriati, who made, I think, three slam semis at 15, or Hingis, who was, you know, had one of the best seasons in tennis history before turning 17. Where do you think Coco compares to some of the all-time great teens and how high do you think her ceiling is like is she a potential number one is she a multiple time slam winner i i put her ahead of those two wow in fact i i, I do i mean look hingis was a tremendous talent yeah um and um you know i mean you can you can see it when she played doubles at like 40 years old <laughs> yeah, yeah. but goth is a talent also yeah absolutely and and she's just gonna have and she's bigger she's mm-hmm. got that big serve you know that big backhand uh, and and her composure is up there with anybody. Yeah, no, she's you know, so she's so I, mature. I, I think I I can't see it why Goff won't be number one in the world or or close to it for a while. 
Yeah, I think that she really is tremendously talented, yeah. and I think another there great. Are, there are other talented players out there, no question. You know? Absolutely. Um, but um, she she's she's got a, um, a good shot. Yeah, and she beat one of the most talented players who's seven years older than her in Osaka. I also think another great young American talent who had a tough showing at the Australian is um, Anisimova. I think she's really good, and I think she could be a a slam winner type as well. So there's a lot to look for there. Jim, thank There's you so much. Yeah, go ahead. That, there was a surprising match in, the, in one of the warm-ups in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Danielle Collins yeah. killed. She, 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 um, she d- defeated um, Kennan yeah. um, in straight sets by blowing her off the court. And yeah. that's one of the things that scares me about Kennan. Yeah. Is, is you know, somebody hitting big mm-hmm. and, you know, that makes her have to move a lot. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that particular day, Collins was on, and it was um, very one-sided. Yeah, well, I think that could have happened. I mean, if Muguruza had had her best tennis, I think we definitely could have seen that where she just overpowered Kennan. But yeah. luckily, Kennan was able to fight and pull through there. Well, in your other show, you predicted that, that Kennan would win the tournament. That was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um before we go, just want to give a shout-out to a couple of— well, did you see Mackie McDonald? Just, uh, he won his first— he won a challenger match, but it's his first win since coming back from surgery, so that was pretty nice to see. And then, of course, um, Coco Vandeweghe, who's pretty close to you personally. This was last week, but she did pretty well in a challenger. She beat Nicole Gibbs, lost at three in Taylor Townsend. So pretty good runs from some some of the local favorites here. Yes, it's nice to see Mackey back on the court. Absolutely. Uh, I know he had, a, he had a great match against Evans. He may, I don't know what, you know, he, must have, he won the first two sets. Yeah. Um, and Evans is a good player. Yeah. And um, Coco, God bless her, has more talent than um, almost anybody. That's and, true. And this is Coco Vandeweghe I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. And I hope uh, I hope she um, um, starts to show that in the next year or so. Yeah. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure to have you. And uh, enjoy the rest thank of your day. Thank you, Carson. Okay. You have a good one, too. Thanks. Welcome, everybody, into Down the Line. So we're back. We had a nice conversation with Jim Landis there. And as we referenced, and the reason we're still talking about the Australian Open, there's not that much going on in the tennis world this week, but there are three 250s going on. And so what I want to talk about is what I think is the worst 250 draw I have ever seen. This is really a challenger draw, and it is in the Maharashtra Open in Pune, India. This is a tournament that was in Chennai for a long time. It's the third year in this new location. In the entire draw, there was one top 70 player to start the tournament. The two seed was Brankus at 73, Travaglia is the three seed at 82, and he lost already, and Sunwoo Kwan is the four seed at 88. Out of these 28 guys, there are five Indian players, I guess because there's not interest in this tournament because it's post-Australian Open, even though historically they actually have had good draws, they've had good winners. None of the Indian players are in the top 120, so they're all just there because there's no one else to take up the spots. And as I said, this is a challenger draw if you take out Benoit Paire, the one seed, who's 19 in the world, who just lost to the world number 174, Roberto Marcora, in the second round. So one of these guys is going to get a title. These are the remaining guys in Pune. Marcora, Barankis, Ilya Ivashka, Sunwoo uh, Sun Kwan, Yuichi Sugita, James Duckworth, Yuri Vesely, or Igor Garasimov. One of those guys is going to get a title, 250 points, and Vesely is the only one of that group to ever get a title. 
And what's so crazy about this is 250s have value. You, they are not just to be thrown away, and we've seen dudes rack up points at 250s. And if you make the finals of this 250, which has a top four seed, that means you just have to win three matches. So if you are Sunwoo Kwan or Barankis, and you win three matches, you get 150 points, which is just 30 less points than the quarterfinals at a Masters 1000 or a fourth round appearance at a Grand Slam. So at a Slam, you're winning the same amount of matches, way higher degree of difficulty. At a 1000, if it's Indian Wells or Miami, you're one of the 96 draws, you have to win more matches against way stiffer competition to get just barely more points. So, and again, this is a unique year because previously, Kevin Anderson won, Gilles Simon won, Roberto Batista Agut, Stan Wawrinka won this four times, Raonic, Chilich twice, Yuzny. So you go back historically, Carlos Moya, Pat Rafter, it's a bunch of good winners of this tournament. And it's suddenly dropped off. And I wonder if part of this is guys are following the example that the top players set in, you know, take care of your body. And this is the trend in sports in general. It's play when you feel like you're at your best and play and, you know, conserve energy for the season. But you don't always have the luxury of doing that if you're you know, bordering on the top 50. Maybe it's also that it's just unappealing because it's in India, which is a long trek for a bunch of these guys, but historically that hasn't been the case. So it's a bit weird. And then there are two other 250s. There's no WTA at all. And the biggest story this this week is actually not about an actual tennis match. It's about the Federer Nadal exhibition that they will be playing tomorrow in Cape Town, South Africa at 11.30 Mountain Time to raise money for the Roger Federer Foundation for Education for Kids in Africa. Seating capacity of 50,000 at this stadium. Fed's playing doubles with Bill Gates against Rafa and Trevor Noah, who of course is the famous South African comedian. So that should be pretty interesting. It'll be on ESPN or Tennis TV, and you don't even have to subscribe to Tennis TV. You just sign up this one time, and it's a one-time offer. So that's pretty nice. But just to go, do a quick rounds of the other tournaments, I mean, this match will be fun, especially if you're in South Africa. If you're not in South Africa, it's not all that great because we've seen these guys play 40 times, and there's no stakes here. But I guess the Trevor Noah and Bill Gates factor makes it interesting to see a couple of bad tennis players. I know Bill Gates has done a bunch of tennis stuff because he's a recreational player, but it really doesn't matter for those of us who aren't in South Africa, but it is good to see that it's going to a good cause. And then elsewhere, there's another terrible draw in Cordoba, Argentina. There's nine Argentinians in the draw of 28. Uh, this two-seed Pea just lost to Mute. Schwartzman really should win this easily as the only top 30 guy left in the draw. And just to give some context on how slow of a week this is, ATP on Twitter today was posting about Laszlo Yeri's win over Pedro Martinez. So that's the kind of content that they're squeezing out of this week. And if you look to Montpellier, this actually this one actually had the best draw, but then Gregoire Barrere beat Dimitrov in the second round. Pospisil handled Shapovalov 2-3, and three, which is now starting to get really concerning to me for Shapovalov because this is a dude I put my faith in. And Correno Busta lost first round. We could have had a quarterfinals with Goffin versus Felix Ojeda-Yassim, and then Felix lost to Yuzer Bear. So now there's only three seeds left. There's really no relevant tennis going on this week, but I just wanted to harp a bit on the fact that I feel like these 250s are being undervalued because there are points, or everyone goes to one, like Montpellier, and you end up getting a way harder draw where you're not getting the same bang for your buck. I get that it's appealing. I get that people are tired after the Australian, but it'd be nice to have some decent tennis this week. So... That's going to wrap things up for today. I hope you have enjoyed. This was Down the Line. I was your host, Carson Breber. Special thanks to Jim Landis for coming on and talking some Australian Open takeaways with us. You're listening to Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com.